0: Trina, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Dan.
0: I am very happy to have you on and excited about this conversation because you are one of my oldest professional friends. We've known each other mm. for, geez, I don't know how long, since, our, since we've graduated from college, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, we were babies.
0: We were babies. Yes. And we had a lot of time living in Dallas and then we were actually in Chicago together. So we have a lot of history and I'm really excited to get through some of these questions with you because you have a very interesting and diverse career that I, I really want to jump into. <laughs> okay,
1: I'm happy to talk about any of it.
0: Awesome, okay. So why don't we start from the beginning then, from mm-hmm. where you went to school, uh, what you study, and did you have any career aspirations, you know, when you were in college and coming out of it?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm originally from Iowa. So I went to the University of Iowa in Iowa City. My first year, I had no idea what I was doing. So I took all my gen eds, and then eventually realized I enjoyed my science classes. And I enjoyed them a lot. I knew that I liked to help people and I knew I liked change and I never wanted to be bored in my job. So somehow I wound up like, oh, that's clearly a doctor. So I went the pre-med route in biology um, and went all the way through with that. And then it was my last year, I, I didn't get into the medical schools that I wanted to. I got into a few others, but then I just decided I needed a year at least to figure out what I wanted to do. And I still thought it was healthcare but thought maybe I'll try the business side of things. And my mom was a chief nursing officer at the little hospital in my hometown, little critical access rural hospital.
0: Yeah. And she's she, pretty famous, right?
1: Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's kind of a, I can't, I don't know if I can say badass, but she was kind of a badass. <laughs> uh, if not, you can edit that out. <laughs> but she was putting in a health IT system. And that's where I kind of got the bug of, okay, maybe where I could help people is actually in the business side of hospitals and the technology transformation they needed to go through. Hmm. So ultimately, that's how I ended up at Perot Systems.
0: Did you take a, a year off, you said? And, no. And thought through all this? Okay. Oh, you no, took that some was, time. Okay. No,
1: I, I had no money, so I had to get a job.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fair enough.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that job was my, you know, I wanted to leave Iowa as well. My whole world had pretty much, other than like a summer abroad, had been in Iowa. Hmm. Um And so I I knew I needed to get some world experience and figure out if I really wanted to spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars
0: on medical school or not. Yeah, it's expensive and it takes forever.
1: It does. Yeah, it's a bit of an investment. So I thought I would see what the working world was like a little bit.
0: Well, I'm glad you made that decision because that's how we met. Do you remember getting the role and, and your initial thoughts? Because I remember when they're you know pitching pro to me, they go, you go through this program, it's a training program, and then it goes about three months. And then after that, we can deploy you anywhere in the country and potentially the world, but we can't tell you where you're going to be.
1: <laughs> I, yeah. I remember that quite clearly. And I remember thinking like, okay, the training program piece sounds great. I know I need you know, some form of education between college and and the working world. So that part was like done. It was that getting deployed anywhere because I had friends in Chicago. I wanted to be in Chicago. I Mm -hmm. wanted to live in a big city. So it was, it did feel like I was taking a bit of a gamble on that, on that last part of the deal.
0: So since you have such a wide ranging experience, especially with teaching and and learning design, what, what were your thoughts now looking back at the healthcare academy?
1: We do need something typically to close the gap between a college education and like the realities and practicality of the business world. And what is, how do you be a project coordinator? How do you write emails? There's even just some basic things. If you didn't have an internship, I think that that program that we went through helped to close some of that gap, particularly me as a non-business person, that that was really, really critical. I definitely think knowing what I know now, that that deploying people to anywhere without their preferences uh, is is a tough, that's a tough sell for a 20 something.
0: Yeah, a lot of stress too, I remember, especially when it's getting near the end of the program, we're all just wondering where we're (laughs) going to be.
1: And yeah, and just really changing your whole life for your job. It's something Mm -hmm. I, I don't necessarily regret, but it's something that I have learned that Your whole life is important. It's not just the work. And as I've gotten older, it's become a lot more important to me.
0: And we'll definitely get into that. So after the the training program, where were you deployed? And let's get into your career journey.
1: (laughs) I was actually originally deployed to Chicago, but then the hospital that I was supposed to be working in closed within like a week of me being there. (laughs) <laughs> so then it was a bit of a scramble to figure out a new position, and they deployed me to Rhode Island, where I had never been. And so I was out there for about eight months, and it turned out, Dan, that the role really wasn't a good fit for me. Hmm. And and I learned a lot in those eight months about what, what, what are, I
0: go ahead, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, about what I liked, but also what I didn't like, and what where I could see my strengths playing out, but also what happens when you're in a position where you're not using your strengths it was really apparent and it affected me in a lot of ways. And so then when the opportunity came to go back to Dallas and work more on the consulting side of things, I was more of like a PMO type role program management PM, like a coordinator type role. Mm -hmm. When I got the chance to work on the consulting side back in Dallas for a big uh, health system client, it, it clicked and it got much better from there.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about how you figuring out that it wasn't a good fit? Like was it, you weren't able to do what you were asked to do or when you were doing it, you just didn't feel like it was, you're hitting the nail kind of thing. Like how do you figure out when a role isn't That's really fair. really for you?
1: For me, it was, it was more that second one where I could do the tasks, I just got nothing out of it. I performed enough, but it wasn't something that I felt the drive to go above and beyond, which is very strange for me. I think a lot of folks that are going through Project Violet are probably pretty high performers and driven people. And when you feel that feeling of like, this is not something that makes me wanna wake up day in, day out for months at a time, it it does start to, at least to me, it became very apparent that maybe this wasn't
0: my jam. Did you talk to your manager about, how did you make that transition?
1: Can't even quite remember. I talked to my mentor (laughs) and really like some of the folks that were sponsors for me as part of the Healthcare Academy program and had a lot of deep conversations, about it and like the implications of the move and and what that all would be. And I did also talk to my manager because he did know I wasn't super happy. Yeah. And that maybe they were looking for someone with a slightly different profile.
0: I see. Yeah. That that's pretty traumatic beginning to your
1: career. Uh (laughs) Well, it cast a bit of doubt on me, Dan, that maybe I wasn't right for a lot of things and maybe I wasn't very good at this whole working thing. And, And that does put a Sting in the confidence a bit. But so when I was able to move to the consulting side of things and get a couple wins under my belt, it really, really helped my self esteem and my confidence about my working abilities and my, like, kind of got my drive back, my mojo back. Mm -hmm. Then it's not hard for me to work really hard and put my heart and soul into something.
0: Any advice for someone who's struggling right now that is feeling a little down on their confidence, not sure they're making the right decision?
1: Uh, I mean, I love a good pro-con list. So if you can just start to even do some of that internal reflection and try to articulate out what you're feeling, because you probably know you're feeling something and you probably have a sense of what the feeling is. It's just getting it down on paper, whether it's through a pro-con list or a journal, or maybe even a conversation with a friend or a therapist, big fan of therapists, pay your co-insurance and they listen to you ramble for an hour. It's amazing. (laughs) but articulating out what's going on inside and putting it down on paper. And then it's a little more black and white. Like, okay, I'm feeling this way. I know there's some positives here, but I also know there's some negatives and kind of understanding, am I the central factor of this? Is it my environment? What, what's causing all of these feelings? And then, you know, figure out what is your change plan? Uh, I'm not the kind of person that likes to wallow in sadness. I like to make changes, but Yeah, make a plan of attack and go for it.
0: Were there anyone that that really helped you along the way, especially Mm -hmm. to find that new role?
1: Yeah, this is another big thing I I probably should have mentioned, find a mentor. We were lucky enough in the Healthcare Academy to have our, our leader at the time, Dave, who was someone that you could have a deep conversation with, someone you could talk about these things, someone who had seen you perform enough to know what your strengths are and looked at you from a point of strength rather than just all of your weaknesses. And sometimes when you get into a negative tailspin, like a negative vortex, you start to see mainly your weaknesses. So sometimes it's good to reframe with a mentor or someone who knows what your strengths are and can help you see a little bit more of the bigger picture, particularly if you're in like that negative vortex. Yeah, Dave, Dave was a huge help for me in getting some clarity. And once I had kind of an idea of maybe a plan, helping me figure out how to make that plan happen and supporting me. In making the switch.
0: I love that. It's like really yeah. having that advocate to help you out. And, like, and it really helps if they're in the company as well. So then they can help pull strings to get you to somewhere that makes more sense for you.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it does. Sometimes people call it a sponsor, a slightly different role than a mentor, but the sponsor is really that person that can help make those things happen. And like you said, pull the strings. And I've Great. used that multiple times in my career.
0: So now that you're in that consulting role, what, what was next? How did your career develop from there?
1: Yeah, I had done a bunch of different things in the consulting role and worked with the big health system and did a number of things for them, but it was through the projects where they were putting in different systems. Most of the ones I worked with were like barcoding for medis- medications and like a med ed admin tool. But I realized I wasn't super great with the technical side. I wasn't super great <laughs> um, with the business process like that. I could do it, but it wasn't my favorite but I loved the people side. And I saw the role that communications was playing on our projects and how we leveraged essentially like a change network, a set of champions to really drive adoption. And that's when I found out what change management was or change enablement. And I don't mean like change control where like, oh, we're going to change this part of the system, like log it in the change control. I mean like getting people, people through a change through communications, through some training and enablement, maybe through org restructuring a bit, how do we navigate the people side of the house? That's Mm -hmm. where I was like, all right, that's the thing
0: for me. Yeah, And that's, and that's so important on projects and often neglected, like usually on projects, they'll just throw in like a training component and say, okay, that's the change management.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: But, but what you're talking about is something a lot more Broad and that actually spans pretty much the entire project of how to understand the changes across the different users, probably interviewing them, and then mm-hmm. figuring out how to map their journey and then really guide them through the whole process.
1: Yeah. The other big piece, Dan, is leadership. Mm-hmm. Getting leadership buy-in, getting them on board, and helping drive not only like the bottom-up type approach like you were talking about, but the top-down mm-hmm. and meeting somewhere in the middle. If you don't have leadership buy-in, change fails time and time again.
0: That's true. That's true. So, I'm guessing you're, you're, you started to see that role that you're interested in. You, you wanted to move into that position.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I also knew that training was something I was super interested in. And I mentioned yeah. I had a degree in biology. I had said to m- some of the folks on my project, Well, I think I want to do training, this side of stuff. And they said, Well, you don't have a training background. I was also going through what I call my mid 20s, I want to save the world phase. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people go through it. Uh, I found What's out purpose in life? <laughs> what, what am I doing here? Um, I, I found out that Dallas actually really desperately needed math and science teachers and they had a program where you didn't have to have a teaching certificate. They would put you like train you over the summer, put you mm-hmm. in the classroom in August, and then you would get your teaching certificate throughout that year it's similar to Teach for America. I think they might've changed the program since then. Yeah. So I applied and got in to that. And so I was a science teacher for two years, Dan.
0: (laughs) So this is a huge transition. So you're, it was
1: fundamentally (laughs) different.
0: And it's going from health IT consulting, (laughs) dealing with adults, and then you were in what, what, uh, level was it? Oh,
1: Dan, it was eighth grade. So in the U.S., oh, it's boy. the top of middle school, and Ooh. lots of hormones, lots of yeah. changes uh, yeah. for those for those kiddos. It was the toughest job I have ever done, by mm-hmm. far. It stretched me and beyond my little Iowa bubble. I was working with kids that had completely completely different worlds than my own, and so in a lot of ways, like I think I imparted a lot of things to them, but they imparted so much to me it was also, uh, I'm really nice. And being a teacher, you have to be very firm. Mm. And so I had to learn some structure and boundaries and pretty quickly, like being, being quite firm and my trying to find my own way of doing that, that worked for my personality. But that was, it was tough, Dan. They tested me every single day.
0: I bet and yeah. I know 8th eighth, eighth grade is just not an easy time for any person going through that that's where you have your attitude and your mm-hmm. like you said the hormones are running um, yep. but also where you are teaching I mean I'm not sure if I'm saying this correctly but like teacher teacher if it's kind of like a Teach for America program they're putting you in a high need school or socioeconomically it's it's a you know not your upper middle class suburban 8th no. grade class I'm sure mm-hmm.
1: No, it was, it was not. It was um, just on the outskirts of Dallas. It was it was low socioeconomic, mm-hmm. like mixed diversity. It was a totally different experience than like my rural farm community or like the other suburbs of Dallas where I had lived. And they had been on the verge of, of having some issues with math and science scores. And so there was quite a bit of pressure actually in that first year to perform and to get the state scores up and eighth grade is a key testing level for Mm -hmm. Texas. I did end up having a really good year that first year and got the scores up quite a bit. And I think it was the highest, I had the highest pass rate uh, of the eighth grade teachers, of eighth grade science teachers. So, I mean, I put in the work and got results.
0: Yeah, and you walked in without a teaching education. So you're essentially building the plane in flight. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) And dealing with not a the most inviting environment, I'm sure, for learning math in eighth grade, a population that probably wasn't doing so good the year before.
1: That's exactly so, the situation I was in.
0: Wow. So your your whole career path has been pretty difficult.
1: <laughs> I will say like the next step after that was my second year was, was, they gave me a lot more kids. So I had a fuller classroom and a lot more kids with special needs. And it was it was beyond tough. And it was at that point that it fully clicked to me that while I love the act of teaching and preparing curricula and, and putting together lessons, it, I don't love working with kids all day long. I like them, Mm. but I love adults. (laughs) And I would find myself sometimes like during passing periods, like waving at the other teachers being like, hi, hi adults. And I kind (laughs) of craved that, that adult interaction again. Mm-hmm. and Adult so,
0: conversations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and so I, some of my friends from the pro health IT consulting space had found change management jobs at other firms. And mm. so I knew that that was really the name of it. I knew what to look for. And I got some interviews at Accenture and ended mm. up falling in love with the people I talked to on the phone. And I made the switch Back to consulting after two <laughs> years of teaching, uh, but this time specifically within change management and health.
0: Very cool. So what are your before we move to Accenture? What were your 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 biggest lessons learned from teaching and making that career change?
1: Oh my goodness there are, there are a, a lot, lot. <laughs> there are a lot of jobs that are way harder than people think, <laughs> and teaching is is such a hard job. It's also Way more physically demanding than like the business world because you're on your feet, you're moving, you're navigating desks. So you're, like with science, we were hands-on a lot. We did labs. It was physically exhausting. And, yeah,
0: and you have to keep the attention of eighth graders too, which is a watched, lot. Oh,
1: you have yeah. to watch them all the time, Dan.
0: Because they <laughs> might
1: like one time I, have a, I had a class phone, and one time I wasn't watching. Guess what? It was in the boys' toilet by the end of the day. Uh, there were like mm-hmm. gang signs drawn on stuff. So, like you just had to be on. Every second of every day made me really appreciate the fact that in the business world, uh, you're on, but it's different. It's totally different. And the physical stamina that it required to be a teacher, it was was really, really tough.
0: Yeah, I I have so much admiration and respect for teachers, just knowing, especially when, when you're in that role and we yeah. were talking, I just remember thinking, I could never do this. And you guys are heroes on the front line. <laughs> and I, and I think I think a lot of parents now are realizing how difficult it is to teach with all their kids at home. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully at the end of this, there is a, a, a higher respect for teachers because you know, in a lot of other cultures, teachers are well-respected and they're mm-hmm. kind of people that are well-regarded in society where I think in the U.S. is not necessarily the case. But anyway, Thank you for your service. (laughs)
1: Uh, You're very welcome, Danley. I'm deeply grateful for those two years because it did get me ready for what was coming next. And Mm -hmm. I think that's maybe a bigger, broader lesson learned is it's all a giant journey. And you need to learn from each experience. And even if they kind of suck or they're not super positive, you have to learn from them. And they're not even necessarily failure. It's just it didn't quite work. But then what do you gain from it? And then how does it prepare you for the next thing? And that's something I've learned by kind of these little hops, little hops. And uh, I was actually super critical of myself for jumping around so much. Mm -hmm. But then this next phase has been eight years at Accenture. And so I'm like, all right, you know, it it all got me to this point where I could be a little more stable. But it took some jumping around and kind of trying things out. That's nothing wrong with that.
0: There's nothing wrong with it. I think that's one of the biggest lessons, especially for early careers that are still trying to figure everything out. I think a lot of people start, especially in college, and they have this end goal that they have. And they're looking at that through kind of a telescope. And yeah. what what you're just talking about just makes me think, like, it's really a kaleidoscope, right? You You can the way you look at your career has to be a lot of different varieties of things just to figure out what you can do, what you're good at, what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, so important to try different things out. I'd say that's more important than just trying to create a linear path to what your goal is because you, you know, you don't know and things change. Don't And know. Yeah. It's more like tours of duty, <laughs> very it, much so of what you've done.
1: <laughs> it is, it is. And maybe the other thing I'd tell early careers is, is it's going to be okay. You know, yeah. I was so like, oh, training, you've bopped around and done all these things and you look so random on a resume, but it all turned out just fine. I got to where mm-hmm. I needed to be and I really am enjoying where I'm at in my career and 24-year-old self, okay. chill out, you know, I'm going to all right. Um, but that is, in that moment, I would have never listened because I was so ambitious. I just wanted to be successful.
0: And not knowing what success means. Exactly. Really.
1: <laughs> yeah. But you, yeah, it's kind of a moving target. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. It's going to be okay. That's a great piece of advice for my 24 year old self as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> calm down. Yeah. Just calm down.
0: Okay, so let's let's move to this chapter of your career because this is where you're at still now, and I think mm-hmm. it's where you're really thriving as well. So let's talk about it. You're you're now moving into change management again.
1: Yeah. So I worked three years in the are we call it talent organization consulting in change management. And I kind of had the specialization in learning and, oh, I had also started my master's, um, towards the last few months of teaching. And then I did that throughout this first year or so at Accenture.
0: Oh, so you're Um, just a glutton for punishment.
1: Oh, damn. What was I doing? Doing a master's and traveling Monday to Thursday every week on, you know, they were pretty intense projects as consulting projects always are, but it, it did help me you know, later on, but it, it gave me that kind of that specialization in, in training and learning that I needed, uh, as well. But yeah, so I was staffed on projects. I ended up at one client in Detroit for two years where I was on multiple projects and they kept putting my name on the next SOW and it kept selling, <laughs> um, which helped me actually get, mm-hmm to manager. So when I started, I was, um, like a consultant level, like the specialist consultant level Okay. and at Accenture in consulting the next level ups manager. And that was a, that's an important milestone promotion. I hadn't necessarily been gunning for it, but I just kept getting more work and more responsibility. And like my profile kept growing at this one client. And so mm-hmm. that helped me in the case you know, in two years to be, to be manager. Oh, yeah.
0: That speaks volumes of who you are as a consultant, especially if they're putting your name on SOWs and saying, Hey, if you want, if you want yeah. us to keep helping you out and you want Trina, you got to sign this new you know, extension or whatever. And for two years, that, that speaks volumes to what you were doing.
1: It, it, yeah, it did to my leaders. And it also is a big piece of advice for early career Stan, that somebody told me really early on in that first project at that client, do good work and the rest will follow. And, because consulting can be so competitive and it can be so intense, it's easy to do like a lot of comparison and sort of say, well, that person's managing three people, but I'm only managing one. Oh my God, they're probably going to get it. And I'm not. And it was like, just ignore all of that and just do good work and the promotions and the roles and the opportunities will follow. And it did. It actually did. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a big piece of advice that somebody gave me that, that has worked out this whole time at Accenture.
0: That plays so much into your happiness as well, right? If you're constantly comparing yourself to others, you know, you're never gonna be happy because there's always gonna be someone else out there that's doing more or in Mm -hmm. your view and your perception, you know, achieving more. So you can do that forever and it's no good. So how how does Accenture figure out promotions then? Um, I know in the consulting world, managers or the the next level up get together and they kind of look at the people that are quote unquote on deck and then talk about certain things it, and then they all decide and vote or how does it work? It's actually evolved.
1: So when I was in consulting, it was the project leadership. They looked at people and they did something called laddering, which is exactly as it sounds. It's like, who are the people up at the very top? Who are the people um, that are maybe not prom- promoting, um, uh, performing? And then who are the people who are not performing? And then kind of where are people at in the middle? They have evolved it at Accenture and, and done something a little more innovative to say, let's actually not ladder people, but let's look at what are their aspirations and how can we support them to get there. Also, mm-hmm. how is their year? But then let's support them in their future goals. How can we help them achieve performance? And so it it has pivoted and changed. And they look at it a little differently than when I was in consulting.
0: So they've inserted more compassion and empathy. (laughs) They have, yeah. Their employees, yeah. That's because that laddering sounds very Jack welsh you know, the like promote your top 10% and then fire your your lower 10% kind of deal.
1: Yeah, they've evolved for sure. You know, I knew I was doing well on the project and I knew I was probably in the top three. And you know, it all depends on the year and how everything's performing and budgets and the availability of spots. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I made the cut that first round that I went up. So
0: um, that's awesome. So you're also a very, you're a very good people person. Like you're a great communicator. You build relationships really well. A lot of people, especially in a consulting firm, you do need that aspect. I think to get promoted to a certain extent. Not that clearly is not the only thing that they weigh and they they grade you on. But if someone is not really good at that, do you have any advice to you know just be more personal or to build relationships and and do that if if they're not very good at it?
1: Yeah, I would say look at your strengths. Accenture actually does Strengths Finder for the whole company, and I love oh, that cool. approach towards looking at what are your top ten right? And then where, what kind of domains do they fall in? And re- relationship building is one of them. And shocker, seven out of my 10 are in that domain. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm actually very lopsided. But if you don't fall into that, you still have strengths that help you do that. So then thinking about what of your strengths can you leverage to help you build relationships? Maybe you're a more analytical person, but you have an ability to connect with people in a, in a, I don't know, I don't even know a different way. And just because I can just schedule time with people and talk to anyone for 30 minutes, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that's has to be what you do. You need to find your own way to connect with people. And maybe it's through like joining an employee resource group and, and actually doing things together or mm-hmm. finding like a charity that you're passionate about and networking with folks that way. It could also be just stretching yourself a bit too, to grab a coffee with someone, but trying to find a way to connect with them that works for you. Ultimately it has to feel genuine Mm. and you know, you can try to craft some like after somebody else, but if that's not your jam, you don't have to.
0: I like that. That's great advice. All right. So we're, we're already halfway through the podcast and not through uh... (laughs) a quarter of the questions. (laughs) But one thing I did want to talk about uh, within uh, Accenture was how you've created roles for yourself. So I think that is great advice and something that people don't really know as an option. So could you talk about that and how you came up with that idea and and how you made it a reality?
1: Yeah. So I wanted to get off the road. I had been on that project for a long time. I went right into another project and and I was tired. And so I talked to my career counselor and I said, I was looking at consulting firm that has a local model And he said, don't do that. Let's exhaust some options. And so I was able to get a foot in the door with the internal learning team in a change role for them. And then I just, I ended up learning some new skills. I applied them. Like this was design thinking, human centered design. I started showing how we could bring those methods into the way that we approach our work. And I made some connections with the leadership, got a mentor. I got a sponsor who was the lead of the learning team, and then also the lead, her lead, saw me in action one time. And so what we ended up doing as part of the change work that they were were doing, I kind of said, I think we need this function and here's the benefit of it, here's what it's gonna do for the organization, here's what it's gonna do for the firm overall, and I think we need to build this out. And Hmm. guess what? They said, okay, and you're the person to do it. And so I said, (laughs) okay. And that's how it happened. And I think people don't see these things as options, but it's really when I was thinking about how I did it. it It just sort of organically happened, but really, I found a skill. I figured out how to do it well. I was able to make a connection and show it off and add value um, with that new skill. And then I made a business case for bringing this skill set in as an actual function. and then naturally I'm the person to lead it. Um, So that's, that's actually how it happened, how I ended up becoming the learning experience design team lead. That team didn't exist. It was kind of done in different pockets, but then they wanted to carve it out, make it a thing and grow up this skill set and have people use human centered design and design thinking in learning. So there, there you go. I got a job.
0: Yeah, no that that was like a masterclass on how to find your own niche in your in an organization. It's actually very entrepreneurial. You kind of found a pain point or a need in a company, and then you found the right sponsors and the people to support you in that. And you presented the business case, and then essentially said, "Hey, I'm well." You didn't say this, but they clearly saw that you were the right person for the role.
1: Yeah. And I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur in any way, because I wasn't business minded. I was all about people all the time, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but in a big company, think about what your skills and your strengths are and then make some connections. You need that mentor and that, that sort of that sponsor that can pull the strings and then start to add some value and eventually make a business case. Big companies need innovators and entrepreneurs inside.
0: Yeah, the in, entrepreneur, I think, is, yeah, is the term they are using now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you say this is the role you're in right now?
1: Mm-hmm. I started in the change role, like kind of at that five-year mark. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I officially got this role a year later. I've been doing it for four years. Uh, I cool. have a team that grew from me to 18 people in three countries. and
0: mm. Yeah. Oh, and that, and that, a is a gr- that is a great segue. So yeah. 18, 18 people all over the world. All that over the world, Dan. That could be very complicated. I, I just get confused when I had a client in another time zone. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and and keep in mind, my client is Accenture. We are almost oh, 500,000 yeah. people. And we are global and we have a huge diverse business portfolio. Right? Yeah. So a portfolio of services yeah. so vast. Mm-hmm. So the skills that we need to build and learning are, are humongous. But because mm-hmm. my client is global. We are global and most of internal functions are virtual because you, it doesn't necessarily matter where you sit. It might be in the region, but within training, you're servicing everybody
0: in the firm. Let's talk yeah. about that. So right now, especially with the situation that we're in with you know mm-hmm. COVID-19, a lot of people are now being forced into a virtual workplace where they I think this is your everyday life. So for people that are just experiencing for the first time, what what is your advice for, or best practices for running a virtual team or just working in a virtual environment?
1: I'll start with the working piece. And I will add the caveat, this COVID also affected me. Because mm-hmm. I would do things to break up my week, like go to a coffee shop and meet up with one of my local teammates. I would go into the office once in a while There were things I did that helped me break up my day that I no longer can do. So just know that if you're starting to work virtually right now for the first time, there's even better ways to do it when you can kind of shake it up and work in different spots and go work around other people. So this isn't exactly even normal for the normal virtual worker. I will say working virtually requires boundaries and discipline. If you're working in a global virtual environment, you can work all the time. If you have folks in like Asia Pacific, you could be working in the morning and in the evening. So I think figuring out a way to structure your day and adding in some boundaries, because otherwise if it's unstructured and boundaryless, you will work all the time and you will feel like your office and your home are the same place. And so I think that boundary principle also applies to like set up a workspace. And yeah, you can move around the house that helps, but the workspace helps to define where the work happens. And like in Chicago, I had a smaller apartment. And so I had a workspace, like in the corner of my living room and like at night, I just didn't even want to look at it. Um, <laughs> but now in Denver, I have, I have an office, uh, I have a defined space and makes, it does make a difference. And I, I try to start at seven AM mountain time, sometimes at six, sometimes at 6:30. but my norm for a long time was six. And that just isn't great for me. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to maybe take a call at night once in a while, or, you know, I start early once in a while, but I'm trying not to start at 6 a.m. every single day because there's enough calls that it will happen. Yeah. And so adding those boundaries, adding in that structure, giving yourself a space and time to work and then have a life outside of it as much as you can right now.
0: That's really complicated with people all over the world. Like, are there <laughs> hours that it overlaps? So like you're, so your day, could be like working in the morning and then nothing in the afternoon and then at night. Like, does that ever happen?
1: For me, it's rare. Um, okay. For me, it's rare. Most of my colleagues that I work with, and they're mainly out of India in terms of Asia Pacific, a few in Manila, they prefer the evenings and then I prefer my mornings. So we, we've kind of structured it that way. Oh, perfect. It, hmm. it all depends on the preferences because they do flex their hours and then kind of like i would flex my hours accordingly if i started at 6 i'm not going till 5 or 6 p.m. i'm going to stop at like 3 but they they flex accordingly too so it's kind of a mutually agreed upon like i'm going to take the hit in the morning you're going to take the hit in the evening but the other thing dan is that my mornings are nuts you, you'd ask the question on project violet about um, your time to plan and prep mine mm-hmm. has to be the like before i sign off at the end of the day otherwise cuz as soon as i open my machine in the morning it's go time 'Cause all the meetings, all the fire drills, all of the big all global projects, yeah. it's all mm-hmm. back to back in the mornings.
0: Yeah. So that would make you an an more I'm an personal. early bird. <laughs> 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 all right, we're getting we're getting to the rapid fire questions. Um, yeah. any any uh, other advice you have. So boundaries for sure. Anything else from someone who's just getting virtual or or managing a virtual team for the first time?
1: Uh, managing a virtual team, I'd say f- still schedule the connects. I would absolutely prioritize personal connection. And mm. some people may feel less comfortable with that. You know me, I'm I'm much more on the people like warm and fuzzy side. <laughs> so yeah. when we do like our team round robin, I always throw in like when you finish your status update, tell me something that's sparking joy in your life. What's a project you have going on outside of work that that you're striving for, that a goal that you've set. And it's a really interesting way to still have some human connection. Like my team, sometimes like we look at the pets, You know, if anybody has a pet, they post pictures, uh, people post pictures of what they're cooking on our team's fun channel. Uh, yeah, we have a fun channel on <laughs> team where we just post nonsense. Um, one of the guys on the team posts a fun question almost every week and we, we try to add levity and lightness as well as like human to human connection. It's an important way to get to know people.
0: Yeah. So you guys, what was the platform called? Just Teams?
1: Microsoft Teams. And it's a little bit like Slack where there's channels. Um, I gotcha. And then my team, just our favorite channel is the fun channel.
0: (laughs) All right. So looking at your entire career now, Mm -hmm. what is your definition of success and how has it evolved?
1: It's still kind of help and develop others. has always been there. Like that has been a, a central thing for me that I knew felt like success. I've also added in be an agent for good change, like leave the world a better place than when you came. And then the third one has I've, I've added in is to be more holistic and human, is to find things that give me joy and energy. Because mm. before the first one was always what I knew help helping develop others. That's very external. It's helping other people. But I also, Dan, need to take care of myself. And yes. uh, there are things outside of work as well. There's hobbies and a life. Getting joy and energy out of something also feels like success. Like when I come out of something, I'm all amped up. I'm like, all right, I think I I think I got a little bit of nugget of success in there. Even mm. if it was just for me.
0: I like that. It's got a good mix of external, which I think most people have for success, but also mm-hmm. internal, because that's very important as well.
1: Yeah. That's been some personal growth in this last decade. <laughs>
0: and more to go, I'm sure, more for to both go. of us. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move into this new seg. Well, not a new segment, a reoccurring segment, mm-hmm. uh, a day in the life. So this, we're gonna go rapid fire as well because we're um, getting near the end here. So, do you consider yourself an early bird or night owl? Or early bird. There you go. Uh, uh. What what time? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Rapid fire. Uh, what what time do you usually wake up? And uh, what does your morning routines look like? Well, it's the
1: summertime right now, so I wake up between 5:30 and 6, and I get the dog out immediately for a walk because I have a big, hairy black dog. And <laughs> if we don't get out before like 9 a.m., it's too hot. So, you know, first thing is walk, walk, jog two to three miles with the dog. Um, then I make a smoothie, and then I get on phone calls. And then no I drink
0: coffee?
1: Uh, green tea and decaf coffee. I've been on a uh-huh. low caffeine. Uh, lifestyle these days, Dan, and it's pretty, Ooh. it's pretty all right.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, was that a yeah. rough transition?
1: Mm, yes.
0: But if you read <laughs> okay. the book,
1: Caffeine, oh, it's actually, uh-huh. it's an audible. I got listened to, listen to it on audible and it was, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. Michael Pollard? Okay. Michael Pollard. Sorry. Michael Pollard. Okay. And it's all about the history of caffeine. It did change my view of caffeine.
0: You okay. might not want,
1: to, that's a caveat. You might end up being a decaf drinker after that.
0: Oh no, um, no. Okay, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that in the show notes and then think real hard if I want to read that.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's gonna take a personal commitment to do, yep.
0: Okay, all right, so we already talked about it a little bit. So how do you structure your day? If you had a choice, when would you schedule the most difficult tasks?
1: If I had a choice, I would have at least like 30 to 60 minutes to answer emails and like get into my day, like maybe pick something to learn for today um, and like strategize a bit. But like I said, right okay. now, it's just go. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> yeah. I'm lucky if I find time to learn anything in any day, which is ironic because I work in
0: training. <laughs> so in training. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but I'm you know, i a senior manager. I'm juggling lots of people and lots yeah. of initiatives. And that's kind of the reality of that level. But Fridays yeah. are often the day that I pick up the pieces and make the plan for the next week and the next month and uh, and look at what you, I want to learn.
0: Do you miss the kind of lower level teaching consulting. Yeah. I know once you move up the the ladder, you know, senior manager, especially you're more, you know, blocking and tackling, you're not really doing the actual work. Do you miss that?
1: Yeah. I miss doing, I do miss doing. And like some of the projects my people are on, I'm like, man, that one sounds cool. But then they're so creative and fabulous and they do such a good job. I'm like, Oh, you're the right person for it. Um, but yeah, I do miss it.
0: Breakfast, lunch and dinner. What does that look like?
1: Uh, green smoothie typically. Well, now my boyfriend's at home with me all the time too. so, So he's been grilling a lot at lunch which is kind of nice that's normally it was like a turkey sandwich now i'm getting like grilled food and lots of vegetables and stuff. <laughs> you have a, uh, a
0: personal chef i do
1: <laughs> and then for dinner a lot of times it's pasta or maybe something else on the grill or um he's been smoking a lot of meat lately so oh. sometimes leftover smoked meats
0: <laughs> wow that sounds good <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i like that all right so let's move into the evenings how does that look like how do you wind down for the day
1: Yeah. If it's not the summer, that's when I usually take the big hairy black dog for a walk. So that's usually my kind of shut the laptop, go outside and like just clear the head. In the summertime, I've been doing a YouTube yoga with Adrian on YouTube and she's fabulous. And so my basement is kind of my gym and my townhouse. And so I'll go down there and do yoga. Sometimes I put on HGTV and just stare at the TV. Oh, yes. And then Mm -hmm. when it's a really rough day. I do my form of meditation that I call stare at the wall where I just <laughs> don't think for a while. <laughs> I
0: I totally very, understand that. Yeah. <laughs> very
1: classy form of meditation, but yeah, so it's just it's all about getting myself out of the million things that are going through my head at any given moment into like all right, you're a human again. What do you mm-hmm. what do you want to do? And trying to just get into that that Trina headspace instead of boss
0: person. Headspace. Yeah, and And that may lead into this next and final rapid-fire question, Mm -hmm. but how do you manage stress?
1: Get enough sleep. When I don't get enough sleep, Dan, it just goes, it's really difficult to manage. So that's number one. Number two is move your body. Walks or yoga are kind of how I do it. Pets help. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dogs are really good for that. So we're kitties. Yeah, take a break. Take your vacation. Uh, Even if like right now, even if you're in quarantine, just don't think about work for a few days. It's amazing what that will do. Yeah. And I like to cook. That's the other one, but move your body, get enough sleep and take breaks.
0: There you go. All right. So before we close out final thoughts, so do you have any advice for emerging professionals, early careers?
1: Number one, it's all going to be okay. If you're ambitious, you will find the way Um, and failure or negative experiences are simply steps in your journey that you're going to learn from and get you to the next spot. So it's all going to be okay. And I mentioned this other one, uh, do good work and the rest will follow. People add value. People will notice and, and, you know, foster those relationships and you will, you will go far. And lastly, don't be a jerk.
0: Yeah. Be nice. Yeah. That's perfect. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the time that we have. So I really, I'm going to end on that. Don't be a jerk.
1: Don't be a jerk. Just be nice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Trina, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a great conversation and I learned a lot. And I know the listeners have learned a lot too. So thank you.
1: Anything for you, Dan. And if any early careerists ever want to talk change management, learning, design thinking, uh, or bopping around and figuring out your path, just Mm -hmm. reach out.
0: Perfect. We will link your details in the show notes as well.
1: Super. Thanks, Dan.
0: Thank you.